Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is May 26th. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be going over a bit of Julio Jones news. It may not pertain directly to the Dolphins, but there's always a potential for the Dolphins to make a big splash here, bring in Julio Jones. But I'm also going to be talking about some of the other landing spots and what I would like to see play out in regards to Julio. We also have some news in regards to free agent running back Le'Veon Bell. He apparently is somewhat interested in joining the Dolphins. So we're going to be talking about the potential to bring in Le'Veon Bell and adding him to the this running back unit. And then we're also going to be discussing, there's been press conferences with a bunch of the coaches on the offense and defensive side of the ball. They've been raving about one rookie in particular. I will be talking about that. They've mentioned one opponent on their schedule that is one they have to plan specifically for. We're going to be discussing that. And then also some news in regards to the playbook. That's all going to be discussed in today's episode. But first, we're going to begin with the news about Julio Jones. Now, initially there were reports for flying around that he didn't want to be in Atlanta. Then it all kind of took off even more because two days ago, he was on a live phone call that was aired on Undisputed with Shannon Sharp, where he basically said he's out of there, meaning Atlanta. And then they also kind of joked about the idea, if you want to win, don't go to the Cowboys. Julio basically said, yeah, I'm aware of that. I agree with it. But overall, it was news that shook up the NFL world because him saying that live on air is, of course, a massive deal. Now, a quick little note here. A lot of people, I want to applaud them for diving deep into it to the extent that they recognize that California is a a two-party consent in terms of if you make a phone call, both parties have to be aware that it is either being recorded or it is being published in some sort of way. So I applaud people for recognizing it, but I don't think this is an instance where Shannon Sharp is going to have to deal with any sort of repercussions or a lawsuit or anything like that. It seems like he's on good terms with Julio Jones. Overall, I think it's a good thing that people are aware because in other instances that could play a part, but I think in this one, I don't think it's that deep. I don't think anything's going to happen to Shannon Sharp, but again, if you want to say that this means that it was some scripted or they were already aware of it or Julio's trying to angle this in a way that he could get leverage and by doing it publicly, he's trying to do that, then those are all valid arguments. You know, it could have been discussed beforehand. I think that's pretty likely that he knew what was going to be happening, but overall, I don't think it's going to be any sort of negatives for Shannon Sharp, but these comments, of course, if he indeed ends up being traded, again, with the Falcons, they made that decision when they didn't go for a quarterback, when they added Kyle Pitts, it seemed like they were still in the mindset that they want to win immediately. So, of course, losing their primary receiving option in a guy like Julio Jones would kind of be taking a massive step backwards in terms of that aspect. So, I wouldn't be surprised if even though he is disgruntled, the Falcons just kind of, you know, bite their tongue and say, we're holding on to you, and if anything goes wrong, they'll just trade him at the trade deadline. That is all entirely realistic. But for now, let's play with the idea of where will he go if he indeed ends up being traded. The reports right now say that the Falcons want a first round pick for Julio Jones, which I think is entirely realistic. I think it's fair and I think a team will be willing to do that. The teams that I think are most likely, apparently the reports are saying that the front runner would be the New England 
England Patriots, which of course is a massive devastating blow for anyone in the AFC East. That is not something that you want to hear. But other teams that are going to be in that mix are going to be the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, there's also going to be the Baltimore Ravens are probably going to be in there. The Tennessee Titans, who apparently, uh, you know, A.J. Brown is willing to give up his number so Julio would come over here. That's his idol. So that's another team that might be in the mix there. Now, as for the Miami Dolphins, something I want to make clear is that there's a difference from what I expect to happen and what I want to happen. It seems like I say a lot of things about what I'm expecting, and people seem to think that's the outcome I'm rooting for. I want to make it really clear there's a difference between the two. Like, if you ask me, who do I want to win the next 10 Super Bowls? Of course, I'm going to say the Dolphins. Now, do I expect that to happen? No, I expect there to be other teams mixed in there along the way. So, again, make that very clear, but do I expect the Dolphins to be in the mix here? Frankly, not really. Just because they got Jalen Waddle so early on, they made a move for Will Fuller, all of a sudden, what was one of the more depleted groups on the Dolphins roster is now a pretty crowded room over there. Devontae Parker, of course, is far from Julio Jones, but still offers a similar skill set. I would not expect the Dolphins to be in the mix here for really making a push uh, for Julio Jones. Now, do I want this to happen? Now, I'm not going to be somebody who is angry if the Dolphins make absolutely no effort. If they just elect to pass on this whole idea, I'm completely fine with it. The way the Dolphins receiver unit looks right now is enough to warrant excitement in my opinion, and I think they could be exciting and effective. So I'm fine with just entering the season with the current receiver unit. I'm fine with that. But am I going to complain if Julio Jones is in a Dolphins uniform when the season starts? Absolutely not. It's Julio Jones. If they have to give up a first round pick to bring him in, at the end of the day, it's Julio Jones. I understand how good he is. Some people will say his peak is beyond him. Sure, his absolute best days maybe, but he's still in the tail end of his prime. It wouldn't shock me if he's a top five wide receiver next year. If he's somebody who's in the top three in receiving stats, he is still that good when he can stay healthy. So overall, I'm not going to complain if Julio Jones is on the roster because he is that good. And I think that asking price of a first round pick makes sense for both parties involved. But I do think there are other teams that are going to kind of leap at the opportunity who are going to be more eager to bring him in. And I think the Dolphins are going to be a little bit more reluctant to really make this grandiose effort to bring in Julio Jones in this instance. Now, one team that I would like to see make a move for him, I think it makes total sense and I would be honestly really happy for the organization. It would be the Green Bay Packers. I mean, you have a disgruntled Aaron Rodgers and all the reports say that his uh, frustration with the team stems from the financial side, that he wants a team to commit to him in terms of a contract. And now it may be a little bit drawn out this whole narrative of him wanting a wide receiver, but I think there is a lot of truth to it. I think that he wants the team to commit to the offensive side of the ball and give him some weapons. If you remember back in that episode where I talked about Deshaun Watson, great quarterbacks are capable of making an average receiver look good. And I think Aaron Rodgers has done that time and time again throughout his career with guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, with Equinemius St. Brown, with Alan Lazard. And I think at this point, he's saying, I know I have Devontae Adams. He's an absolute stud, but give me another guy here who can help me look good. Not somebody who I can make look good, but give me somebody who's going to take some of the pressure off me. And I think that's a very valid argument to make because if you look at teams across the NFL, like the Cowboys, who I mentioned frequently have a three-headed monster at the receiver position. The Atlanta Falcons have Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. Even the Dolphins, when you look at all the guys they have and the depth they have, the Packers have a severe 
lack of depth at the receiver position outside of Devontae Adams. And I think that there is no better way to say to Aaron Rodgers, okay, we're going to commit to just giving you the absolute best offense we can. And you can go out there and just scorch the earth, put on an absolute show. We're going to have to give up the draft capital. We're going to have to, you know, do some gymnastics with the cap space, but we're going to do it for you. We're going to bring in Julio Jones so you can throw to him and Devontae Adams and have what could be one of the better years of your entire career. And I think it makes total sense. And I would be in favor of them making that move. Again, there may be other teams that it makes more sense in terms of them giving up more or in terms of the cap to get Julio over there. But overall, I think the Packers need to do some sort of gesture to kind of rectify the whole situation with Aaron Rodgers. Now, the next topic we're going to talk about here is Le'Veon Bell. Could the Dolphins bring in Le'Veon Bell? And this kind of stems from this instance where Le'Veon commented on an Instagram post that was kind of mentioning all the talent that the Dolphins have brought in. And Le'Veon Bell, you know, the classic, put the little eye emoji, making it seem like he's interested in joining the Dolphins. So could the Dolphins be interested in bringing in Le'Veon Bell? Now, if you guys are very active on the Twitter sphere, you guys may already know Mike. He did a podcast over there, Fourth and Inches, one of the funnier guys on Dolphins Twitter. But aside from that, an extremely clever, and I think he makes a ton of good points. And he put something that was kind of, you know, it was in jest, but I think there's a lot of truth to it, where he said, I'm against going for Le'Veon Bell until he signs with the Dolphins, which is, I think, a lot of the sentiment that you see on Dolphins Twitter pretty frequently. Everyone was against entering the season with Miles Gaskin as a lead back until it was the reality of what was going to happen. Now everyone's in favor of it. So I think that's the same approach a lot of fans are going to take. Everyone's against this whole idea until he signs with the Dolphins and everyone's going to say, yeah, the guy's elite. You know, he's back to his peak. But overall, I don't think it's the worst idea. I think it's more likely to happen than the whole Julio Jones trade. I think bringing in Le'Veon Bell would be a good addition. I think he is great as a receiving back. He could kind of take some of the load off Miles Gaskin. I think Miles Gaskin, as it currently stands with him being the presumed lead back, has a ton of pressure on him to perform at a very high level. If you have Le'Veon Bell in there, who is still a very effective running back, that could take a lot of the pressure off. And overall, it turns, again, what was one of the more depleted areas in this running back group into one that's also a very crowded little unit, kind of like the receiver uh, unit has turned recently. Because you have Miles Gaskin, potentially you add Le'Veon Bell in there, who would be, I presume, to be the number two. You have Malcolm Brown, who I don't think is the most talented in this whole unit, but I do think what he offers to the team, being kind of that compliment, more of a powerful guy, I think he is a bit of a necessity for this team. And then Savan Ahmed, who I think is very slept on. I think that burst that he offers and his ability to hit the outside, the way that he's been training, the way he's been packing on size and uh, you know practicing out there with Miles Gaskin, I wouldn't be surprised if Savan Ahmed has made a ton of progression as well. All of a sudden, this running back unit that a lot of people were disappointed entering with Miles Gaskin. If you have Miles Gaskin, Le'Veon Bell, and Malcolm Brown, and then Savan Ahmed just buried deep in there in the depth chart, man, all of a sudden that is a very talented, underrated little group you have there at the running back position. Now, I mentioned that I think Le'Veon Bell is more likely than Julio, but a move that I think is more likely than the both of them, and one that I kind of expect to happen, is for the Dolphins to sign Melvin Ingram, who actually met with the team yesterday. And not only that, he's been 
been in Miami and he's been practicing training with none other than cornerback Xavier Howard. So I think Ingram would be a good move. He'd be a solid veteran addition. He is 32 years old, but it's important to note last year he did struggle with injuries. He was on injury reserve twice throughout last year with a knee injury. It was definitely his least impressive year in terms of the stats he put up on the field. But if you go back to 2019 where he had seven sacks and then the season before where he had seven sacks, it shows that if he can get back to being healthy, if he can play the entire duration of a season, he is somebody who could provide an impact. I wouldn't expect him to be the guy who is on the field just constantly out there. I expect him to be kind of mixed in. But with that being said, still an opportunity for him to have some sort of impact. And I wouldn't be surprised. Again, I'm kind of expecting the Dolphins to make this signing another team that he could be uh, signing with is the Kansas City Chiefs. But overall, I think this one would make sense. And I would like the idea of bringing him in here to Miami. Now, I want to talk about some of the press conferences that we've had with the coaches. I had an opportunity to listen in on them. And I do think there are some points here that I kind of want to talk about because I do think they could be telling a little bit more uh, for some important things like uh, some of the rookies, the playbook in particular. And that's how I'm going to begin with the whole idea of the playbook. Of course, the Dolphins right now have uh, a co-offensive coordinator group. They have Eric Studsville and they also have George Godsey. As of right now, they both said they don't know who is going to be the one that is directly making the play call. So of course, how that is going to work is going to be extremely important. But as of right now, that hasn't been told just yet. Now, if you remember a few weeks back, there was a report that Miles Gaskin said the playbook is extremely different from the one last year. So you'd be thinking, okay, they made a ton of changes. But there was a point that was a little bit contrasting with this idea, and it was one that was made by Eric Studsville. They were asking how much of the Changeli offense from last year will be brought to this new Dolphins team. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but he basically said something along the lines of, you know, they felt that they had a part in that offense as well. It wasn't like it was just Changeli's system, but they felt like they had some sort of part in it. And what worked for the team last year is going to be brought as well. It's going to be a living playbook. There's going to be adaptations throughout the season for whatever is working. But the stuff that worked from last season will still be brought to this new offense in 2021. So what that tells me is that maybe some of these newer concepts we're not going to see until maybe the midway towards the tail end of the season. But there could be a lot of similarities from the offense that we saw last year, especially at the beginning of the season. I kind of mentioned in a previous episode that if there was any concern I had is that these guys weren't these long tenured, very experienced guys who have a very structured, concrete playbook at their disposal, a guy like Chan Gailey, who you know what to expect, that there may be hiccups a little earlier on in the season. So that is still a worry of mine. But again, to kind of add on to this, I wouldn't be surprised if at least at the beginning of the season, we see a very similar offense to what we saw last year. And the newer stuff isn't incorporated until at least after a few weeks. But again, that's all left to be seen. That is intense foreshadowing. We'll know as we get closer to the preseason and then towards the regular season how things are going to begin looking. Now the next point I want to talk about is about one of the rookies and I mentioned it in a previous episode as well that he's been getting a ton of praise but I really want to double down on that because 
It is Javon Hall in the safety. He was picked in the second round out of Oregon. I can't say that I remember a second round pick that was talked about, just absolutely raved about on every instance that they can talk about him at the same rate that these guys talk about Javon Holland. And I don't want to say this to downplay Jalen Waddle or Jalen Phillips, but they are talking about Holland just as much, if not more, than their first round picks. It really is that outstanding. And what that's telling me is that I'm not even sure if Javante Williams or any other running back was really in play for the Dolphins in that second round spot. The way they are talking about Javon Holland, they are praising him for his ability to play in multiple spots. Of course, he could be that free safety. The team no longer has Bobby McCain. And then he could also play in the nickel. They love what he brings in terms of his leadership element. Um, Coach Alexander, the DB's coach, said that back at his time in university, he was just, you know, completely in love with Javon Holland as a prospect. And even back then, he was trying to recruit him to join him, and they just couldn't get him. He said Oregon had all the flashy uniforms and all the other things that appealed to him, but Alexander had wanted him even since back then. And again, it's not just him. It's Brian Flores. It's a ton of the other defensive coaches. Anytime you ask about one of the rookies, they are just raving about Javon Javon Holland. So Dolphin fans, this is my warning. I think that he could be an absolute stud. The way they're talking about him, what they have apparently seen from him, it seems like they don't just view him as somebody who could be a starter, but somebody who could be an absolute star in this league. And when it comes to Brian Flores and evaluating some of these defensive backs, when he's had guys like the McCourty twins, when he's had guys like Patrick Chung, I think that is very telling that they are so big on Javon Holland. Now for this last part, the Dolphins coaches really seem to be talking about one of their opponents in particular. And I had mentioned this in the past that the Dolphins, you know, when they played the Buffalo Bills, they didn't just struggle. They didn't just get beat. They got absolutely mauled on both occasions. And it seems like they need to devise a plan specifically for facing this Buffalo Bills team because they struggle with them that bad. And this was kind of reiterated by some of the Dolphins coaches by defensive coordinator Josh Boyer. He was asked a question about how are you going to address this problem with the Bills and he said that they are very well coached they have talented players and then the focus is on them internally at this point he said I'm not sure who said this quote but each time you lose you die a little bit and he said that that is how they felt when they went up against the Buffalo Bills so I think that was very telling but then there was another quote here and it was from the defensive backs coach Alexander on adding so many cornerbacks to this team and he said that when you look at the NFL it is a passing league you can't have enough guys who can cover and even within the division with how the Buffalo Bills spread the ball around that it's necessary to have that many cornerbacks. So a lot of people were looking at this and saying, okay, that Buffalo Bill loss, those losses against them must have haunted them in some way. And frankly, I think it should be because it seems like they really need to do something to address their problem against the Buffalo Bills because it was that bad. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up today's episode. As always, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. That is at ShadySteven and at ViaTheSource. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a, a review on the Apple Podcast app. If you can, it would mean a lot and does go a long way. I would appreciate that greatly. If you have any topics or questions that you would like for me to discuss in a future episode, feel free to send them to me, again, either in that Apple Podcast review section or on Twitter. You can reach out to me there. I would gladly take the time and, and and follow up with that in the next episode. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up today's episode. Until next time, I'm Steve Amasso, and this was Via the Source.